If you go and see if you can just look up like where coffee is grown and look at the sides of the mountains and pictures of these people trying to pick these beans, I mean, it's not easy. There's a lot of work that goes into that one cup of coffee. From Humble Coffee Company, this is Coffee 101, a show about, well, coffee. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and every week, my coffee friends and I are bringing you the absolute best coffee education you can find out there in the coffee verse. If you're new to the show, I'd recommend starting at episode one. Coffee 101 is designed to build your coffee knowledge in a chronological order from the ground up. Coffee 101. Go ahead, pat yourself on the back. Your coffee game just leveled up. On the show today, we are talking about different species, which that word kind of freaks people out, of coffee. So you see on bags 100% Arabica, but what does that mean? And What is Robusta, and is there anything else out there? So today, I am joined by my good coffee friend, Daniel Lopez. What's up, Daniel? How's it going, man? Good to see you. So uh, I thought, who would be the best to talk about Arabica versus Robusta? And then we're going to go into Stenophila, which is really cool and trendy right now as far as a, a thought topic. I thought, I'm going to call Daniel. So Daniel is at Frothy Monkey, which is based out of Nashville, Tennessee. And he is the head roaster there. And if you've never had coffee from Frothy Monkey, coffee that Daniel would have roasted or at least had a hand in, um, you need to try them out. You can check them in the show notes below uh, and you said earlier y'all have places there and you have it in Chattanooga and in Franklin and soon to be Birmingham and was it Knoxville? Yep. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're slowly but surely going to be able to be uh, able to be found everywhere across the state of Tennessee. Sweet. And uh, venturing down into Alabama starting uh, starting this summer. So that's pretty exciting. So yeah, Birmingham has a pretty cool uh, coffee scene. For sure. So I think y'all could contribute well. Yeah. So we're happy to be be joining joining that group down there. We'll be in downtown Birmingham, yeah. um, at least location number one in Birmingham. Um, it'll be in the old uh, Urban Standard. So oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody that's familiar with Birmingham, and that's that's a that was a staple of downtown Birmingham for a long time. Um, so we're excited to kind of you know take over that space and you know frothify it a little bit and yeah, uh, yeah bring some bring some good folks in um, to the Frothy Monkey experience uh in alabama so exciting times for sure so most of the coffee that i I would even argue to say probably all of the coffee that you roast is arabica uh same thing here with humble coffee uh it's pretty much all well i've never roasted anything besides arabica so i'm going to go into a really quick kind of technical you know thing where people's eyes glaze over and they go get an extra cup of coffee uh, but don't do that. And then we're going to jump right into Arabica. So there are different species of coffee plants. And then there are different varieties 
of those species. So like what Daniel and I would think of is like Arabica, for example, is the species. And then like Catawai or um, Bourbon uh, or different, uh, those would be different varieties. So I kind of liken it in the South, in the U.S., to oak trees. Like you have red oak and you have a white oak and you have a swamp oak and you have a shagbark oak. Um, so they look different. They have different, uh, we'll call them fruits, technically acorns on them. And so the big thing when you go back to your high school, like biology and all that kind of stuff, you have the genus, which would be caffea. And then you have the species, which in this case is going to be Arabica. We're also going to talk about Canephora, and we're going to talk about some other cool ones. So y'all stick to the end of the show. And then below that, you have the varieties. There are currently 131 species in the Caffea family, but only Arabica and Robusta are basically what we drink now. There's technically you know, one more, and we'll talk about that. And then there's one kind of on the horizon, which we'll also talk about. So, Daniel, tell me, what, what do you know about Arabica? It's probably the one you and I know the most about. Yeah, Arabica is, you know, that's going to be pretty much 100%, I would say, of what you and I roast. Right. Um, so the, the good thing when I, when I say that I'm in, you know, that we work in specialty coffee, it's not just some like general term that we throw out just to kind of sound pretentious. Right. Right. It's, it's an actual, you know, there's a specialty coffee association, which Frothy Monkey, I'm pretty sure we're a part of, um, I'm 99% yeah. sure. Um, but, um, so there's a clear, de- clearly defined definition of what specialty coffee means. It's not just trying to sound, we're not just trying to sound pretentious. Um, right. essentially what specialty coffee means is that you're roasting hundred percent Arabica coffee, um, that has been scored by Q graders as a score of 80 or above. Right. Um, so pretty much every coffee that, you know, myself, um, and you and at humble coffee are buying is coffee that's been scored by the coffee community's equivalent of a wine sommelier, which is a Q grader, um, that is at the origin level. And then is at the importation level in either Europe, Asia, United States, doesn't really matter where that's also, it's being checked along all along the supply chain at the origin level, then through the importation process. And once it lands, it's getting scored again to make sure that anything didn't, because it happens all the time. Like when these, when these container ships are in the ocean, you just never over the ocean, you just never know what's going to happen to a container ship full of green coffee for when it's out on the water for months at a time or weeks at a time. Um, So when that coffee gets landed, it's scored by a Q grader again, just to kind of make sure that that arrival sample is good. And then what 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 then happens, there's another check. The arrival samples from importation get sent to me or whoever's buying and then you cup them again and then you approve them. Now, if something's off, then that can cause like, whoa, we agreed that this was an 86 and a half point coffee. This is an 84 now. So you have to work around yeah. the price, which does happen. It's it's pretty rare, but it does happen where you'll, you know, you'll get, you'll pre-approve a lot before it ships, right. score it as an 86 and a half, and then you'll get it. And you're like, wait a second, this did not hold up. And there's a lot of things that could have gone into that. It could have been, they only sorted a small portion of that lot super well. And the rest, they kind of didn't do as well. Which happens. Um, which does also happens. There's just so many things that can happen to affect, um, coffee kind of losing quality, but that's what's, you know, when you get it and it's good, you know, that like 
there were so many hands that went into the process that led into that coffee being good. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, learning how that all that works and it's a lot more tedious than probably what the average consumer would think when it comes to coffee. Yeah, we have like, a, I think right now, depending on what stat or report you're looking at, there's about 60 to 75% of the world coffee production is Arabica. You still have uh, the other one we're going to talk about, and we'll kind of intermingle both of them, is Cafea Canifora, which is versus Cafea Arabica. Cafea Canifora is more commonly known by me and you in the coffee industry as Robusta. And so that other, we'll say, um, you know, 25 to 40% is is Robusta. And that's actually what you get uh, a lot of times if you've got like instant coffee or some of your uh, what we would call still first wave coffees like, you know, maybe Maxwell House, maybe Folgers. Uh, but even they sometimes now are having that kind of 100 percent Arabica stamp on them. Right. Exactly. You yeah. Know, and Arabica tends to if we're I mean, if on the Arabica note, like, yeah. Arabica has to be grown at a higher elevation. Correct. Um, it needs cooler temperatures. Um, it's got a lot more flavor variation. Right. Um, but it's also not all Arabica is going to be scored 80 plus. Like there's still there's still low quality Arabica coffee out there for sure. Yeah. And you're right. It does depend on, like, say, elevation. So one thing, for example, technically, Arabica grows best about 1970 to 7200 feet, whereas Robusta really kind of sea level to, let's see, it's about um, 2,600 feet. Um, And Robusta, where it kind of gained steam, it's technically kind of in, I would say, the late 1800s. There was, you and I know about leaf rust, and we'll talk about that in another episode, but basically wiped out all of the Arabica in Asia while Brazil and everybody else in Central and South America were growing uh, their volume of Arabica. And so Asia replaced with Robusta, which literally is a little more robust. It tends to uh, not be as fickle. It tends to have more uh, production as far as the actual beans you know, on the coffee tree or coffee bush itself. And they uh, tend to have like literally about double the caffeine. So um, those are a couple of couple of interesting things that kind of separate the Arabica, which we would focus in what what you and I call third wave more on the taste from Robusta, which is, you know, I'd say more caffeine and commodity. Right. Yeah, Robusta is definitely um, higher yield for sure. And it's it's much more resistant to, yeah, leaf rust, uh, you know, bacteria, all that stuff that can affect a plant um, in the growth process. And it definitely has more caffeine, um, but the taste is just not, it's yeah. not great. Um, to me, it tastes like, like a combination of rubber and something like medicinal. Yeah, so yeah, Robusta... We uh, we got some samples of a Robusta a couple months ago. Yeah. And I sampled this to them and tried them uh, just out of curiosity. Um, but yeah, Robusta coffees tend to have a rubbery 
nutshell, like the, like the outside shell of a peanut when you're yeah. taking off a peanut and there's that little brown film paper uh-huh. over the peanut, it tends to kind of taste like that, which is really drying and there's no body. It's like really flat um, and just hollow. If mm-hmm. that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so on that, you're getting a lower quality product, but you can grow a ton of it, right. but you're, it's, you know, going to be a lot cheaper than what Arabica sells for, which, you know, if you're growing Robusta, you're just going for sheer volume. If your goal Correct. is to crank out volume, you know, like Vietnam, India, Indonesia, and even right. parts of Brazil that are growing Robusta, they don't, they're not necessarily caring about the quality. They just know that if they plant Robusta trees, they're going to, they're going to grow a ton of sellable um, seed beans. And that's what they're going for. They're not necessarily handpicking or doing all the extra sorting process that's right. happening with Arabica production because they're going for high quality, higher, um, higher trade costs to make better money. Right. Exactly. And, you know, there's, uh, and, and as a side note, that then becomes a challenge when you're at origin and trying to convince a farmer to switch over to specialty coffee and convince them that you're going to produce less, but you're going to get more for it. And then there's like the, what, two or three year gap as far as from planting to then, you know, getting your first big harvest. And so, so that's a risk. And that's something we think about too. Yeah. So with Arabica, it takes like, yeah, it takes even longer than what Robusta trees take to, to, to when you plant a arabica tree, like it's going to take four to five years for it to really produce a full amount on your tree, right? right. Whereas Robusta is less. And not to even mention, I didn't even mention earlier, arabica requires more work. Yep. So like, because you're having to do extra work, you're a lot of times in most countries, other than like Brazil, you're doing a lot of hand picking. Right. Um, like Brazil is a little bit more modernized in their specialty coffee, Arabica production. There, there's giant farms mm-hmm. that look like a farm in America. Right. And they have giant tractors that shake trees and then they do sorting again to take out the, the unripe, the unripe cherries. So with Arabica, I mean, you're having to look at, you're looking at, you know, needing to do hire extra people to either handpick or to do extra sorting, buying depulpers and all that, all that other good stuff to where, you know, expensive stuff. It's not easy. Right. So you're basically having to convince them like, Hey, this is going to be a ton more work. You're probably going to lose, not have really production, a lot of high yield production for four to five years and you will make more money, but like, there's a lot of work that has to be done. Even once you get to that point to maintain that consistency, because that's what like roasters are looking for. They're looking for, I want to be able to buy from this person every year and expect the same whatever one I'm looking for. If I can, if I want to bank on an 84 point coffee from Juan Francisco in Guatemala, I want to be able to get that every single year. Right. And so maintaining that is tough. So it's, I, you can definitely see why some farmers are like, eh, I'll just stick to yeah. Robusta and sell it to the big global conglomerates. You know? Right. And there is a, there is still a market for that. There are people who that is what they're okay with drinking. And we've had, uh, we've done an episode on, on, why people like coffee and, and two of the big things we talked about historically it's been caffeine um, and then more recently uh, with specialty coffee it's it's gotten into taste as being an option um, but there's still tons of people out there that just drink the coffee for the caffeine and that's where um, Robusta comes in you know a couple of interesting things that I found in in kind of looking up these um these different uh, coffees, 
is you can actually grow more Arabica per acre or per hectare. They have a deeper root system, but it doesn't, in diameter, doesn't go as wide, whereas Robusta has a wider system but shallower, but you're still pound for pound going to get, the farmer is going to get more volume or weight of actual coffee beans from that Robusta um, that they have, uh, whether it's small farm, large farm, whatever. And one one other thing that I thought was really interesting, um, which I just kind of geek out at stuff like this anyway, is if you think about it, Daniel, at lower elevations, and we see this in the southeast U.S. where you and I are, you have more bugs, right? As opposed to if you and I were hiking, you know, on a 14er in Colorado, you're going to see less. And so from a like genetics standpoint with Robusta versus Arabica, we talk about caffeine being an insecticide and we talk about Robusta having double the caffeine amount compared to Arabica. Part of that is actually because there is there's so so many more bugs that would sabotage the robusta, and so it has just kind of evolved to have that as part of its barrier. And that caffeine, we talk about that bitterness, like to me that rubber or that medicinal taste. Caffeine itself is bitter, and so that's not all, but that's part of what makes it taste like that. Robusta is also lower in fats and lower in sugars compared to Arabica. And and you know, you and I know from the roasting process, like those are two big things when we're looking at how a coffee is going to end up tasting once it comes out of the roaster. Exactly. And a lot of that is, you know, sugar, like the, the, the Robusta having less sugars is a good point because that's one thing that makes Arabica so great is that there's so much variation of sweetness. Yeah. Right. So like as a roaster and as a, you know, a cupper, that's what you're looking for. Whenever you get a new coffee, you're trying to like, all right, how can, how can we maximize yeah. the sweetness on this coffee or how can we maximize the body and all that? So we're, we're kind of like encompassing the full experience right into what we're wanting to, to get out of a particular coffee whenever we source right. it. Right. So we've talked about that, Arabica obviously takes a little more care. Um, you're going to pay more for it because, like we've said, all the way from the farmer up, it's more finicky, more challenging, harder to convince everybody in the chain that it's worth it unless the price drives it. And so you you really, honestly, in the U.S., if you're paying 250 for a 12-ounce cup of black coffee, Honestly, I think that's a steal if you're getting it from, um, you know, a great coffee shop or a great roaster uh, like y'all at Frothy Monkey. Yeah, we've had, yeah, we've just had to go through the whole deal with, you know, obviously inflation is affecting everybody. So, right. I mean, at least in the Nashville in the Nashville coffee market, I mean, I mean, I go out for coffee obviously pretty often, and it's it's hard to find coffee for less than three, a drip coffee less than three bucks these days. Yeah. Um, and so, I'm, you know, hopefully there might be a correction in the future, but I mean, we'll see. But, um, you know, right now it's if you're looking at a 12 ounce cup of coffee at a cafe in Nashville, it's three to three, three dollars to three dollars and 50 cents. 
right there. You know, I was listening to something the other day, and uh, it basically said that when coffee, which at this time tasted ho horrendous, uh, hit like England as far as like the original coffee scene, like 1700s, um, the equivalent of if you if you like crunch the numbers, nailed it down, like a cup of coffee would have been the equivalent of like say. 32 to 36 dollars for that cup of coffee and so uh, and again part of it's supply and demand there wasn't much supply at that time and it was a new product but still uh, it went from there eventually fast forward 100 years to where um, almost anybody could drink it but initially even though it tasted terrible um, it was uh, you know one of those kind of indulgences that very few people could afford. Yep, exactly. And that, that all started from, you know, it being discovered, found or whatever in Ethiopia and then ta- kind of taken to Yemen. Yeah. Just kind of the, the established history is that coffee was discovered in Ethiopia. I'm sure you've covered this. Yeah. And then in uh, Yemen, that's where the, you know, Yemen claims that they're the ones that that's where uh, brewing coffee became, you know, officially started in the port of Mocha, which yep. is why you see, you know, that's where Mocha comes from, um, is from that town, that that port city in Yemen, yep. where they claim to, in the coffee houses from hundreds of years ago, where they, you know, the coffee house was a place where everybody came together to talk about yep. social issues and all the, all, you know, societal issues and stuff like that. So yeah, coffee goes way back in terms of connecting people. Well, one last thing I want to say before we jump over into talking about Stenophila uh, is some people use Robusta in espresso uh, because, well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, it does have better crema. Uh, it has more bite. Uh, and, of course, it's got more caffeine. And so sometimes you'll see that in espresso blends, just depending on where you are. And, you know, we're going to have an episode coming up soon or a few episodes talking about coffee and health. And to be brutally honest, you technically get more antioxidants out of Robusta um, through chlorogenic acids than you do Arabica. And granted, it's not much. Like, it's 8% as far as CGAs in Arabica and 10% in Robusta. Um, But, you know, that's one of those things that kind of separates them just a little bit. Anything else you can think of as far as on Arabica versus Robusta that we didn't cover? Yeah. I mean, just one last thought. And, you know, I've, I've thought about this with, you know, my buying partners and I think, you know, with the way coffee market pricing is going and just, you know, if projecting 20, 30 years out in the future, I think Robusta is probably going to have to somehow be incorporated into the specialty coffee definition. Um, I just think Robusta with the way it's grown and how, how much easier it is to grow, to grow. Yeah. I'm sure. I think one big, one big thing for me is like, why is Robusta not, why does it not taste better? It's like, why is there just this, it's just established that it just only tastes bad. Um, Whereas Arabica used to have that. Right. But now is, is Arabica is very widely seen as like the best coffee, but you know, 30 years ago it was all, bad and doesn't didn't taste good so my biggest thing is like what is the how are we going to uh, you know 
offset the issue of rising global temperatures for Arabica, which are very susceptible to higher um, higher um, degrees in heat, right? And right. so we're going to have to have another coffee that kind of comes in to kind of take up for that loss of Arabica because yeah, the, the, the world's not going to stop drinking coffee anytime soon, right? So there's either going to have to, we're going to have to include Robusta into that and make Robusta better. And like you said, you bring up a good point. Robusta has more caffeine, it's got more antioxidants and it has good crema. Um, and it has that good, innate, nutty, bitter taste, which as an espresso, if you blend it, it can be really, really nice. Um, and I'm not, I'm not um, the type of person that's like, no, we're never going to do Robusta. I mean, Robusta can, I'm sure can be good um, in the right, in the right growing temperatures with the right producer that can make it really good. Right. Um, that's something that, you know, as I've gotten more into coffee, I want to see what, how we can use Robusta here. Right. Or in the future. Um, Cause yeah, I think it can be included in the specialty coffee market at some point in time for sure. So basically backups to Arabica is a perfect segue into our next section. And before we get to that, let's stop and pause for a quick word from our sponsors. Let's be honest. Nobody wants bad tasting coffee. If you have bad tasting coffee, you either avoid it or you drink less of it or you put creamer and sugar in it so that it hides the actual taste, but you do get the caffeine out of it. But then you just can't get through the day as efficiently. That's where Humble Coffee comes in. They source their beans and roast so that it tastes phenomenal and gives you those health benefits that you can only get in a cup of black coffee. So check them out, humblecoffee.com. Now let's get back to the show. All right, we're back here on Coffee 101, and we're talking to Daniel Lopez with Frothy Monkey. And we've talked about Arabica and Robusta, and he brought up a great point before the the break there that it it would be great to have some backup options uh, for Arabica when we look at specialty coffee. And there are 131 species of cafea, uh, which include Arabica and Robusta. But what else is there out there? One that I want to talk about real quickly, and then we'll jump to the to the real exciting one currently, is I want to talk about Cafe Liberica. This is something that honestly is really not in commercial production. It technically does represent, though, about a little less than 1% of the overall world production, and it's mainly in the Philippines. It originated in West and Central Africa and grows best in jungles. And there's a lot of variation as far as the coffee bush or trees themselves. And this one can grow up to like 30 feet tall. Um, it has kind of a floral and woody flavor, so it's not, it's not as, as good as Arabica. But it does represent a very small portion of, of what we drink Uh, across the world for coffee. But we're about to talk about Stenophila, which I'm super excited about. So, Daniel, tell me, what what do you know? What what promises does Cafea Stenophila offer us? 
Yeah. So Stone Phila, um, I remember just reading about this last year and yeah, it was um, like May. by no means. Yeah. I'm by no means an established expert on Stone Phila, but I do probably know more than the average person does on this particular uh, species. Um, but yeah, I remember, and I'm sure you might've seen, you know, that this like rediscovered um, species of coffee was found in Sierra Leone, um, in 2018 or 2019, I believe, and that they did the first sensory um, tasting of it in, I think it was the summer of 2020. Yep. And then they did, the, they released the article and the results of the, of the research um, last year. Um, and yeah, it shows a lot of promise, right? Like it's, it was pretty cool to read it. Cause you know, like, like I was just talking about, you know, with climate issues and rising temperatures um, along the coffee belt and Arabica being so susceptible um, to temperature increases and, you know, um, water, uh, drought, it's not as drought resistant. You have this, this new species, this new varietal or this new species of coffee, um, that was well-documented, you know, up to a hundred years ago, but yeah. just kind of fell out of, uh, uh, fell out of fervor, you know, somewhere, I think from the 1950s, 1970s, something like that, some in that era of time. Um, but yeah, it showed in like, they did, they, they did the research study and they did a, a blind tasting and, I believe it was something like 70, 80% of the, uh, of the um, professional tasters thought that it was um, Arabica or didn't yeah. know that it was, uh, it was a low quality um, coffee. So basically this new species was graded as something that could be, that would be hard to discern from Arabica, which is really promising. Yeah. Super promising. The only thing that beat it out was an Arabica from Ethiopia. So even on a right. table with other Arabicas, um, in a blind cupping, it tasted definitely competitive with Arabica, if not, you know, better um, than some of the ones that are grown around the world. Now it does have it does have a lower yield, um, but like you said, in light of moving into global warming and temperatures changing a little bit and Arabica being fickle, um, this does offer an option because it is a little uh, more robust in that sense. It does grow at lower elevations, um, which could make, even if it's lower yield, could make production easier. It actually originally was found, like you said, Sierra Leone, Guinea, Ivory Coast, which is where you see a lot of Robusta um, grown and, and where it originated as well. So is it new? No. Was it thought to be extinct? Yes. And Dr. Davis and uh, group went down to Sierra Leone from like basically 2014 to 2020 eventually were able to find the stenophila growing in the wild and uh, yeah, then put a few of those papers out, some blind cuppings and uh, it's, it's got some promise. Yeah, it's definitely got promise. And I think uh, one thing that I remember just him from him talking about it is like, all right, that's great that it's got a lot of promise. It's, you know, it could be grown at lower elevations, which is a lot easier because, you know, it's hard yeah. to grow. It's hard to grow stuff on mountains. It just is. And to gather it, to gather For it. Sure. Like if, if people, if, uh, so our one-on-oneers out there, if you go and see if you can, like, just look up, like, where coffee is grown and look at the sides of the mountains and, and pictures of these people trying to 
pick these beans. I mean, it's not easy. There's a lot of work that goes into that one cup of coffee. It's a, it's definitely a labor of love, right? And so you're now you introduce this this new potential species or this rediscovered potential species that can be easier to easier to grow. Um, it's more drought resistant. It can be grown at hotter temperatures, um, and it's yeah the, the lower elevation piece and the quality is has promise, right? Now the hard part is like okay, how do you scale that up? To yeah, global production, you know, because it's point. Zero two percent of global coffee production is is stenophylla, and then like the other one percent is liberica, and then you got ninety nine percent that's robusta, robusta, and arabica. Right, right. So that's going to be the hard part, and that's where like you know we'll just have to kind of wait and see um, what some of these producers do. Just like we've seen so many times in coffee history, I bet that ingenuity is going to rear its ugly head. Yeah, for sure. People are going to figure out a way. So I'm excited. I would love to, uh, I mean, it's not anywhere close to being uh, enough for production where even, you know, us, you know, on the inside of the specialty coffee world would have a chance to try that anytime soon. But it is exciting to talk about. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, Yeah. So excited about the future in in that area. But yeah, I think we might be looking at like what I was mentioning earlier, maybe encompassing Robusta in the specialty coffee, maybe would be the the next step. And then, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, hopefully we can have this coffee that can be grown kind of almost anywhere along the coffee belt. Um, but I mean, I don't know if you know, but there's a, co- there's a guy in uh, California that's growing coffee. Yeah. Um, right now, which is really cool. Fringe. Yeah. Which is fringe coffee. I yeah. think is the name of his company, which, um, which okay. is really cool. That's really far North for it um, is. coffee to be grown. Yeah. And so that'll be interesting to, that'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, of course my initial thought and concern, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but is, like, like that's going to be an expensive coffee, you know, no matter 100%. how it cups, you know, uh, it's just, it's going to be an expensive coffee. Um, but it, it'll be fun to watch and see how that kind of evolves. Um, so who knows? We'll see. Well, today I was talking to Daniel Lopez, head roaster and coffee geek extraordinaire and good coffee friend of mine at Frothy Monkey in Nashville, but also in Franklin and in Chattanooga and soon to be in Knoxville and Birmingham and eventually take over the world. And I appreciate you coming on, man. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. Take care. All right. See you. Hey, Coffee 101ers. Thanks for listening today. This is Kenneth Thomas. And if you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. I personally read every review. If you have any questions as far as coffee goes or there's something you want us to talk about or even talk about more, just leave us whatever that is in the comment section of the review. And we'll see you next time on Coffee 101.